0: Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Hotel Bar Sessions. As usual, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Dr. Rick Lee and Dr. Charles Peterson, our standby bartender. Romulus is here. He wants to know what our drink orders are. So let me start with you, Rick. What are you drinking and what are you ranting and raving about this week? Because
1: of the weather, I think I'm staying with my stout. I think I'll ask Rami what's the best local brew he's got on tap. But I need stout when the weather turns like this. My rave this week is about what's known as the GPL, the GNU Public License, which is frequently called a copyleft license. And it is a license that allows anyone to use any software as long as they make any changes available to the public and they make that code available to the public. And so it's a way of using copyright law to circumvent copyright and it's sometimes called a free license and the reason why i'm raving about it is because the trump people have apparently they're starting a new social network i forget what it's called truth or something like that i don't know (laughs) and apparently they've used the entire code from a free social media site called mastodon and they have not made their changes available and they have not made the code available. And so they have, I think, 60 or 90 days to either correct what they're doing incorrectly or that shit's getting taken down. So go free software, go GPL. Actually, the license is the AGPL, the Faro GPL, but the same rules apply. nice. Nice. So, my rant this week is the New York Times op-ed page. I think, like, this weekend, they <laughs> oh they add a brain fart or something, and they publish <laughs> two of the most ridiculous things. One is this piece by Maureen Dowd that is published, like, the day after the infrastructure bill is passed, and she's writing about some stupid other bullshit. Obviously, it was pre-written, and she just didn't have the time to write about one of the most important pieces of legislation in the last five or six years. the The other was an essay by David Brooks, and um, like that guy, he's the canary in the coal mine for mediocrity. Like, I just (laughs) if if he's saying it, it's just mediocre. So. Screw you, New York Times op-ed page.
0: All right, Charles, what are you drinking and what are you ranting and raping about?
2: You know, I mean, I'm telling you, it's these crisp, and I love them, these crisp, clear fall nights. And so I'm going to go with three fingers of Basil Hayden Rye. It's stored in these gorgeous cherry casks and the flavor is just so nice. And it's not too fruity, but slightly fruity. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm a big fan of Basil Hayden Rye. My rant is... I'm going to leave Aaron Rodgers alone because there are so many people in that line to to, to shit talk him. He deserves it, but there are other things that I can do. I'm going to shit talk another moron for the ages, Senator Josh Hawley from Uh Missouri, who, in his attempt to remain relevant in the foolish GOP cultural wars, is now on a quest to reclaim and save American masculinity from the dangers
0: of porn. (laughs) that's like trying to save oak trees from acorns (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) yeah he thinks the left's war against masculinity is driving all of these poor disenfranchised white men into the arms of video games and porn i feel like holly looks like the guy He's worried about people doing porn. I feel like he doesn't want you licking on his browser. You know what I'm saying? He's got that whole that whole creepy vibe that I am not leaving my daughter in the room with you. So, you know, Josh Hawley and his empty, bottomless well of stupid, contemptuous, arrogant, smirking ambition is what I am ranting about. I'm raving about $66 billion in the bipartisan infrastructure bill for... Trains. Expanding train lines to previously unserviced towns, creating new stations, replacing old cars, extending service. I love the idea of going back to a nation that has a fully functioning national train network. I'm so excited about the idea of being able to get in a train in Cleveland and riding out to Las Vegas. That sounds so much fun. So I'm excited. $66 billion
1: to actually helping toward constructing a greener future.
0: Nice, nice.
1: What about you, Lee? What are you drinking and ranting and raving about?
0: You know, I haven't had a martini in a while. I think I'm going to have just a dry vodka martini. Weirdly, it's something that I associate with cooler weather, like autumn weather and winter weather. So, yeah, Rami, pour me a martini. Really?
2: (laughs) Yes. Why associate that with cooler weather? I I was thinking about that as a summer drink.
0: Yeah, I do not. I think that martinis, like sake, they warm you up from the inside. Mm. I don't know. Okay. I don't know why. Okay. This week, I am ranting about leaf blowers. Uh,
1: <laughs> like,
0: make it stop make it stop you know I was trying to pinpoint exactly what it is about the sound of leaf blowers that I find so annoying and I think part of it is just like in the fall they're just always on what the sound of nails on a chalkboard is for a lot of people the sound of leaf blowers is like that to me it's loud it's not consistent. It doesn't have like a rhythm to it. It, You know, (laughs) it seems like it's everywhere and it's droning. Yeah. Leaf blowers. I'm I'm looking forward to the end of the leaf blower season. My rave this week is also sound related. I am raving about the Staple Singers.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh. Mm.
0: I was reminded to turn them on again recently because I heard someone describe a song. I, I don't even remember what the song was, unfortunately, but I heard someone describe the song that was a duet between two females. And my friend said, they sing harmony like sisters. And there is something about singing harmonies with someone in your actual family that I don't know what it is, but it sounds different. And man, did the Staple Singers just perfect that. I actually had a chance to meet Mavis Staple a few years ago. She was doing a show here in town and some of my friends knew her and got to go backstage and hang out with her. She's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, Staple Singers is my rave this week. All right, Rick, you are in the hot seat for today's episode. What are we going to be talking about?
1: Today we're talking about cancel panic. Not in not in that we're canceling panic, but the panic over cancellation. Although I'd also like to cancel panic. Seriously. It, it it seems like the shit is getting out of hand right now. Bill Maher has been raving against cancel culture. And it just seems like everyone right now is really concerned about the phenomenon of cancellation, and I started thinking, like, is it really that widespread? I could start counting up the number of people who have been canceled, and it really is not all that much. If you looked at this statistically and you saw the numbers, you would say, oh, look, we got that problem solved. Thank God for that. Also, I'm not convinced that there's a big difference between cancel and shame. Sometimes people do things that are messed up and they ought to be shamed. And so I'm not sure there's a big difference between canceling and shaming. Maybe you could help me out if there is one. And lastly, I want to insist, and this is going to be my punchline throughout the whole thing, You don't have a right to a $50 million bonus from the viewing, listening, whatever public, the the paying public. That's not your right to have that. And so if you don't have it anymore, I'm sorry for you. Actually not. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) But it's not your right to that. You had your 15 minutes. Move on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're 15 minutes and, and $49 million. So move on. So this week we're going to be talking about the panic over cancellation.
2: Thank you for this. Thank you in the midst of the, the chaos. And I think extending panic beyond this question of cancel panic, I think just cultural panic that we're in the midst of witnessing, right, which is attendant to this. But, you know, I have a question. It seems to me this idea of cancellation, getting canceled, are so connected to the previous sense of political correctness or now wokeness, which is now becoming a part of upper middle class New York Times editorial white man lingo. And, And once it becomes a part of that, you know, the shit is over. Right. But but I want to talk about the ways in which cancel panic, cancellation, wokeness and political correctness all come together. And can we differentiate clearly between
1: these three terms and ideas? You know, it's interesting. Just this past weekend, I've seen cancellation tied frequently, really frequently to this idea of wokeness. And could I just say to everyone who looks like me and has a socioeconomic status like me just don't use the word woke or any form of it just stop it (laughs) and you know to go go back to my rant the the other new york times op-ed i i don't know about you all but i cannot stand ross do that doubt it you know what? Do, do not tempt me, because
2: I have an alternative pronunciation of his last name, but do not tempt me.
1: <laughs> so I'm guessing it rhymes with moosh somewhere in there. <laughs> he keeps talking about, what does he call it, the Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I do think that there is a way in which the panic over cancellation is hooked up with this panic about what is now being called wokeness or woke culture, which I think is, you're right, Charles, I I feel like that's just another name for social justice warrior or political correctness. And I think it's often a complaint about, you know, why can't I say the racist things I used to say? Why can't I say the homophobic things I used to say? And and I think, like, here's where I think cancellation is a panic. You can't say those things because they were wrong when you said them before, (laughs) and now they're still wrong.
0: Can I just fold in, I think, another dimension here, which is that I do think that there is a little bit in this cancel panic that is generational. So the poor millennials, right? They've just been dogged since they got you know, named millennials. But I think that there is something that is very much a sneering at the millennials and Gen Z in this cancel panic. I was actually at a meeting just a couple of weeks ago and heard someone say, nobody cancels faster than the recently woke. And he was literally talking about students, so 18 to 24-year-olds. So the the issue is, like,
1: the newly converted are the most virulent in their new religion, and so the recently woke are the ones so quick to, to cancel.
0: Yeah, yeah. But also, I think, specifically, we're talking about younger people, right? I mean, maybe we should just go ahead and get this out there. I mean, we're talking about Twitter, mostly, Right. I mean, there are lots of other arenas for cancellation, but almost none of them are totally disconnected from Twitter.
1: Well, but what is totally disconnected from Twitter?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair fair enough. Fair enough. My
1: parents.
2: Okay. Just for, for the record, my parents are totally disconnected from Twitter, but my mom is on Facebook. So, but I'm also guessing your parents aren't going around canceling
1: people. Oh, there's some people, if they had the opportunity, they definitely would cancel. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think that you're rightly that cancellation doesn't really happen without the massification and rapidity that something like Twitter brings and that you wouldn't get a, a critical mass. Or as I heard over the weekend, someone referred to it. Well, James Carville, I think, the woke mob, that man ought to be canceled. And by the way, if cancellation were real, douchebags like him should be canceled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean do that bags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we could pull a Santorum with do
2: that. Oh, yes. All right. Okay. So let me ask this question. We actually have not defined what we mean by cancellation. Okay. Right. First, first crime against philosophy that we've committed today. But I also want to think about from the perspective of these people suffering from this panic, there is a cycle, right? A politically-minded person or politically-correct-minded person will express a certain degree of wokeness and then through that begin to engage in activities which, undefined, we begin to cancel. So let's see how all of this fits together. And I want to say this whole idea of the newly converted woke person, it makes it sound like there's some type of brainwashing taking place and in this new consciousness now they become the inquisitors. You know, and I'm on a college campus which in many cases historically and even contemporarily have been on the cutting edge of certain type of progressive actions, ideas, ethos, behaviors, language so forth and so on. So for me, the idea of cancel culture which is really an organized effort to let's be honest, to actually be critical of to some degree, police behaviors that are seen as beyond the line or disrespectful or racist or sexist or homophobic. or I mean, let's be honest. There are very specific types of behavior that people engage in that in this type of public rebuke, which in some cases can lead to, you know, loss of revenue because one isn't allowed to work certain jobs or one gets dismissed from certain employments or opportunities get lost. Right. So let's let's say that's there. What I'm very much concerned about are the ways in which this idea of being woke or being politically correct is seen as being wholly illogical and irrational and simply this emo leftist inclination. I think about this in the context of our students who are trans and who become very protective of certain identities. Because for the most part, they were not in positions to be protective of certain identities, whether it be in their home spaces, their hometowns, before they come to college. They had no social, cultural power that allowed for them to defend against those that would distort or abuse or make fun or degrade who they were. So now they find themselves in a position to where they actually have the capital and the agency and the support to say, you're not going to call me that. You're not going to talk to me that way. That's not who I am. And I'm demanding that you observe a certain degree or certain aspects of behavior that display respectfulness to who I am. So, you know, that's what I'm always thinking about when people talk about political correctness or these woke mobs. I'm saying what you're really saying is, and I think you said this earlier, Rick, oh, I'm mad that I can't call women wench anymore. Or, I'm so mad that I can't use the N-word anymore. Or I'm so mad that I can't use the F-word anymore. And now people are complaining about it. Well, yeah, people should be complaining about it. And if you're going to be ballsy enough to use this language in public, if you're going to be ballsy enough to be very overt about your lack of respect for people's identities
1: and their existence, then I think they have the right to push back on that out of self-defense. So, Charles, in what you said, it seems to me there are two really important issues Well, one may be more of a question, and that is, is cancellation something that applies only to public figures or celebrities, or is it something that also applies to private individuals or, you know, like, could one of us be canceled or would another word be used there? And so I think that's worth talking about. I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's in the popular culture right now is because of some examples of celebrities being canceled. But I'm wondering, is it the same thing? So here's what I have in the back of my mind is I know you all love the series so much, but in the chair, was that professor, (laughs) was that professor canceled? Would we use that word there or not? And so I think that's one important issue. And then the other important issue, which I think is a really large issue is What about I I really like you're talking about the power of the ones saying to the what has been said or what has been done. Wait a second. I will not tolerate that kind of behavior or speech toward me anymore. And I, I think often in this discussion, cancellation sweeps that under the rug precisely in the name of I think you were right oh, no, they've just been brainwashed. They, this is not their own position. They, they've they just been brainwashed by, well, frankly, the likes of us. Because all we do is brainwash people to be woke mobs.
2: Hey, listeners. Before we have too many drinks and it slips my mind, if you can't catch us at the hotel bar, you can catch us on Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. You can also follow our HBS hosts individually on Twitter to catch their all-fair thoughts. You can follow Charles at at C underscore F Peterson. And Peterson's with an O, not an E. O, not an E. Rick is at at Rick Lee Phylos. That's Rick Lee with two E's and Philo spelled like half of the word philosophy. And Lee is at Dr. Lee M. Johnson the doctors abbreviated, and Lee spelled L-E-I-G-H. In the off chance that you weren't furiously scribbling notes just in, you can also visit our website at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and find everything you need to know there. Now, back to our conversation. So,
0: we haven't yet defined what (laughs) being canceled is or what canceling is. So I I think that it is often the case that we use cancel when another verb would be more accurate. But that is the phenomenon that we're dealing with. So I think that we have to talk about those many ways in which canceling gets done. I mean, some of those are really obvious, like someone gets fired or someone gets publicly shamed. But there are lots of things about cancellation that are very closely adjacent to other concepts that we already have, boycotting deplatforming, etc. I think all of those kind of fall under the general umbrella of cancellation. So I agree with your inclination, Rick, to think that primarily the targets of this are public figures, famous people, celebrities whatever. However, I do want to remind us of a really famous cancellation story from, I want to say it was like 2015. It it, it was in the last five or six years. But this woman, Justine Sacco, who was a 30-something young white woman. She only had 170 Twitter followers. You know, so not a famous person, just a normal person, who went on a trip to visit some of her extended family in South Africa and as she's going on the legs of her trip, is making these snarky comments about travel. You know, she gets to London and she says, oh, there's a German guy sitting next to me. It's 2014. Have you heard of deodorant? And then she's in England and she tweets bad teeth and bland food or something like that. But then before she gets on the last leg from London to South Africa, she tweets, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. I'm white. Sends the tweet, gets on the plane, and it's an 11-hour flight. She falls asleep. While she's on the plane, this blows up on Twitter. And it's always hard to retrace how this happened, how this person – who only 170 people follow on Twitter, became huge. But it gets in the hands of somebody from Gawker who retweets it and makes comments about it. People start calling for her to be fired from her job. Her job replies and says, this is a totally unacceptable tweet from an employee, but she's in flight right now. We'll look into it as soon as we can get a hold of her. So not only is her name and her tweet trending, but then there's a hashtag trending, has Justine landed yet? Starts, you know... (laughs) Starts (laughs) trending. And so when she gets off the plane and turns her phone back on, she's canceled. Her life is dramatically different. She's been fired. She's been publicly shamed. She has, in this case, actually tarnished the name of her family who were connected to the party of Nelson Mandela in South Africa. So it's it's huge. So I do think that this does happen to regular people. And so, sorry for the long detour, but to get back to your question about the professor in the chair, yes, I think that he was canceled. I think that's what happened. Yeah, it's like the public stocks, right, of the, I don't even know what period that was. What what period was it when they used to put people in stocks?
2: Oh, I think that was like the late feudal period in Europe.
0: Yeah. And didn't the
1: Puritans also do it in in the colonies? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, So, okay, Lee, let me just reiterate the point you started with all of that. So we're circling around a definition, but I don't (laughs) think we're quite there yet. So, Charles, you raised earlier that loss of revenue or loss of, let's say, income, or could we go so far as to say livelihood? Because, Lee, your example of Justine like loss of livelihood is a a huge part of this. Is that required in order for someone to be canceled? Because if not, then deplatforming, I think, is the better word for that. So it seems to me that someone's livelihood has to be on the line before we go and say this person has been canceled.
0: But I think someone's livelihood can be on the line in ways that are not Simply financial, so I think that our reputations, are our livelihoods, as well. And so I'm thinking, for example, of you know when J.K. Rowling gets canceled or when Louis C.K. gets canceled. I mean, they're not out on the streets, right? Like they're not without a job. They're not you know homeless. But their livelihoods are diminished and damaged.
2: So here's my thing, and I agree with that. It has to have something to do with a certain degree of public recrimination that could affect one's livelihood, could affect one's ability to earn money, could affect one's public reputation. Because, you know, if if you take my reputation away from me, you, you take everything. Part of what annoys me about this whole conversation, not ours, but this cancel panic, is that this isn't new. Since the beginning of, I don't know, human beings gathering in groups, there have been means and methods by which people have articulated their disagreement with words or actions taken by those within a particular group, be it your town, your city, your state, your country, and have put pressure upon that individual or those that individual were beholden to in order to, for lack of a better term, critique them or punish them or completely undermine and dismiss them from the public sphere. I mean, have we forgotten about the McCarthy era, the blacklist?
0: I want to disagree, though, because I think that this is new. I think the speed... Of Twitter is a difference that makes a difference. And I think the reach of Twitter, not only just the however many billions of people who are on Twitter, but the reach that Twitter has on other domains of our interactions, not only other social media domains, but everywhere but but
2: but but it's just a question of scale based upon technology if in 1952 zero mostel goes before the house un-american activities committee and refuses to say if he was a communist in 1938 or not and based upon his refusal to answer the question all of a sudden he can't get jobs in hollywood and it's across the pages of the new york times and the washington post and the los angeles times that's the same basic phenomenon it's just a difference of scale
0: Again, I want to disagree. I don't think that it's just a difference in degree because I think the Justine Sacco story is really illuminative here because I think what we see is that before a person even gets a chance to defend themselves, to like enter the debate, to even know what's happening, it's all over already. And that just hasn't been possible before now. The speed with which this happens is, a, it's a difference in kind, I think. It's not just a difference in degree.
2: And I think what, what it also may suggest is that now we're thinking about, or we're having to grapple with a different sense of what is community. So now, whereas before, the community could be your church, or if we're going to talk about the history of canceled, we've got all of this great literature, Hawthorne coming out of Puritans, right? Canceling like a motherfucker, if you're talking about being burned at the stake. <laughs> right? So I think we are talking about a difference of scale and kind. But I also want to say, if there is a difference, and I agree with you, there is a difference. The difference is that now those who traditionally were at the bottom or subject to the cancellation on the part of empowered interests now can strike back utilizing the new technology. So now it's not just downward punching. Now it's no longer just hegemonic figures and institutions that can crush or undermine or dismiss from the public sphere, undermine wages... Undermine um, reputations, now it goes back in a different direction. That may be the real difference now, and that may be what's causing so much panic.
1: So, as someone who actually is often accused of being technophilic, I often defend technology, including as strange as may sound to you both, I often defend social media by refusing the argument that it's just speed and scale that makes a difference. Because I'm convinced that the complaints about technology have remained remarkably consistent throughout history. And so it can't just be that technology is bad because of speed and scale. But that being said, one way I do agree with Lee's point is that either the actual pervasiveness of cancellation or cancel culture, or at least the apparent pervasiveness of it does come from social media and primarily Twitter. And, you know, it's a matter for another episode to think Why does this happen on Twitter and not Facebook? I suppose TikTok could be another way in which something like this could happen, but no one's canceled because of Facebook.
0: People are canceled because of TikTok, though. There are a number of TikTokers who do this thing where they'll take these videos of Karen's Karening, you know, (laughs) or some dude in the Kroger shouting something racist or sexist, and they'll put it on their TikToks and they'll say, help me find this guy, who this guy is. And of course, it's like on Twitter, when people say, Twitter, do your thing, it's crowdsourcing the investigation into who is this person so we can cancel them. So I do think that TikTok and Twitter are very similar in that way, but you're 100% right. doesn't happen on Facebook.
1: Well, and, and again, this is probably matter for another day, but I think that has to do with the rapidity built into the platforms so that TikToks can be shared really quickly and really widely. And that moves incredibly quickly in a way that Facebook is not designed for that kind of rapidity of sharing. But I think this leads to another question. Is there more cancellation or is this really just a panic about it? Because I'm not kidding, just over this weekend, I think I've read six articles in major media outlets, and also seen four or five people, Sunday talk shows, all of them raising the problem with cancel culture. So is that just a panic, or are a lot of people getting canceled all the time that we really do need to be concerned about this?
0: I think that the people who are panicking about cancel culture, themselves can't define what canceling is. I'm just thinking back to last year when they decided to discontinue publishing a few of the Dr. Seuss books mm. and all over Fox News. It was like, Dr. Seuss has been canceled. Dr. Seuss was not canceled right, right? like you know, of the however many scores of books that are published, there's just a few that were discontinued. So I do think that in that sense, the panic is entirely fabricated, and it's fabricated because it gives the panickers an entree into talking about what they really want to talk about, which is to go back to what Charles said earlier, their complaints about political correctness, about wokeness, about the mob mentality of progressives and liberals. So, yeah, I I think that in that sense, the panic is a panic about a boogeyman that doesn't exist.
2: Right. And the thing is, it serves the purposes of not just a conservative mediascape and, and conservative personalities and, and a conservative political agenda, but also centrists and moderates, right? The fact that it's Carville who's talking about it, it's a damn wokeness. This is his way of pushing back against the left wing of the party. When you have Mark Warner, the senator from Virginia, who's saying one of the reasons why McAuliffe lost the election to Yunkin is because of wokeness, that's him pushing back against the rising progressive wing at the state and at the national level of the progressive caucus sidebar. And we should maybe talk about this at some point. One of the most insidious features of centrist politics is that a lot of times moderates let the conservatives do their dirty work without them having to get their hands dirty. Mm. And I think this is one of those moments that this is a moment where, where moderates can push back on more aggressive, progressive agendas and those populations that those agendas represent without having to say, I'm tired of the squad having a voice. I'm tired of black voters pushing for certain things. So I think it is a panic, but it is not an irrational panic. I think it's a well-orchestrated panic.
0: I also think that's a very effective panic. I think one of the things that always strikes me as essential to understanding why cancel panic is so scary to so many people is because when you get down to it, right, the worry, and not just of conservatives, of just human beings in general, the worry is that while you turned your head away for a second and stopped paying attention, that the very worst moment of your life becomes defining. Of you. Like that is what everyone's worried about. And that's really getting at that lizard part of our brain, right? It's getting at the absolute horror of being publicly shamed and not being able to gracefully exit that embarrassing scene in your life. Now, That is not usually how cancellation happens. It doesn't just take random people and pick their worst moment. Usually people who get canceled have demonstrated, they're not the Justine Sackos. They're people who have demonstrated a whole career or a whole lifetime of commitment to things that should be canceled. But that fear, that fear that what if this happened to me That's something that keeps people awake at night. And it's something that when you walk into the privacy of the voting booth, that fear is still with you. So, Lee, does it have to
1: be, though, the fear that I could get canceled or is it the anger that now I am forced to censor myself and that, screw you, I could say whatever I want. I don't need to be censored. But now I have to censor myself because I think I, I can go to sleep and wake up the next morning and be fired for my job and, and so on. And, and so it, it seems to be the censorship aspect that I think a lot of people are also rejecting.
0: I mean, I think it can be both a fear of being embarrassed and an anger about, as you say, not being able to say whatever I want. I think what's interesting is that the people who complain the loudest about cancel culture, Are not as loud about, for example, wanting to preserve the right to say the N word in public. (laughs) You know, I mean, like that. So the canceling is something to focus on. And it might be really at heart an anger about not being able to say the N word in public, but I can focus on the canceling, right? Because that's something, again, that I think really just tugs at the heart of everyone.
1: But that would entail that when the word cancel is used, always necessarily that there is the kernel unjust at the heart of it, right? So someone has been canceled unjustly, because otherwise you wouldn't use the word cancel. I mean, like nobody says that Hitler has been canceled. We use the word cancellation, it seems, when we also want to imply there's no good reason for this and it was unjust that it was done.
0: Oh, I don't think that's true. I think that just a Choose a really big example when Louis C.K. was canceled. I think people who wanted Louis C.K. to be canceled were saying cancel Louis C.K. I was, you know, I was using it as like this person should be canceled. They're just like I would say this person should be deplatformed. This company should be boycotted. I don't think that like the there has to be a presumption that the shaming or the boycotting or the canceling or the deplatforming is unjust. But then I don't understand where the panic arises. Oh, so you're saying people who are panicking about cancel culture only ever use exactly. cancel only ever use cancel in that way. Yeah. Exactly right. right. Now
2: I will say this, and I, I think there are a lot to be said about these different sources of it. I think sure, there's on one level there's a fear on a part of people that you're right. I made a mistake or I said something inappropriate and now this defines me and can have very real effects upon my ability to function in society, in this world. Or I'm angry that I can't be the freewheeling, inappropriate person who had all of this, whether racial or gender or class or or sexual privilege, that allowed for me to do these things. Or that I'm just out of touch. and, And I'll put, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's critique of it in there and his ilk, Bill Maher that you're not willing to recognize that cultural and social mores have just changed, as they always do, because that's just what happens when people live and express themselves. So I I think all of those things are part of what motivates people in terms of their concern uh, about this. Now, having said that, I think there's another side of this. I, I think there's another side to how those who feel empowered and those who are seeking to establish, maintain their presence and their voice in very public ways, or those who no longer want to submit to other people's definitions of them, how there may be room for a little more nuance and complexity about it. So I think, and I've been having this discussion with friends and colleagues for a while, you know, cancel culture, I was aware of that years ago on college campuses, you will have populations of students who will become very publicly critical using social media of some of their peers who maybe behaved or spoken inappropriately about certain issues, and then we're going to cancel this. We're going to critique you. We don't let you know how wrong you were in the public sphere. What I began to notice is that that willingness or that defensiveness or that desire to defend, because defensiveness has all kinds of negative connotations, sometimes does not allow for a bit more nuanced perception of what the person was doing or saying or trying to do. So perfect example Right. You will have professors who come to this campus and may misgender a a trans student. So the question becomes, is this person doing it simply because they are not used to the culture and they're still learning? Or is this person doing it because they're actually being disrespectful and trying to be harmful in their language? And I think sometimes what happens is, and it may be a question of the amount of times of recurrence. It may be a question of, has this person been introduced and given some background and insight into The culture of the campus. Are you being an asshole or are you making a mistake? Are you making legitimate mistakes that can be corrected? So I think what gets lost sometimes is a sense of a willingness to extend a certain degree of grace to give somebody or people a benefit of the doubt to say, well, maybe you are making a mistake. Maybe you are unclear. Maybe it will take time for you to become more acclimated or aware of what the expectations are within this community. I think sometimes that doesn't happen.
1: And then it becomes, all right, we're going to cancel you. So, Charles, are you, are you saying that cancellation involves a calling out and maybe at the first step is we should call them in and say, you know, maybe you were unaware of it or and so on. And that was the moment of grace that I think you were talking about. Take a different hermeneutic position rather than, I mean, it's not just the hermeneutics of suspicion. It's the hermeneutics of accusation immediately, right? I think you're right. And I also hear you saying that this is not the cause of the panic that people are calling out rather than calling in. But it is a moment for us to think, let's try calling in once in a while before we just start calling out. Sure. How did you create allies? How do you create opportunities for people to become allies? Right.
0: So I I agree with the basic sentiment here, which is that when we can... We ought to try to leave people a graceful exit from a a conflict, from a misstep or a mistake. I like the way that you said it, Rick, uh, calling in instead of calling out. However, I do worry a little bit. That sentiment sometimes bleeds into a rather problematic position, which is something like, but let's just educate these people, right? Let's hear out both sides and let's uh, assume the best in everyone. And I do think that there is something to the insistence on canceling. Mm. <laughs> uh, so this is in the just sense of canceling, right. right? To say, no, you just don't get to talk anymore, right? Like uh, this is what I think is actually beneficial about deep platforming. And I myself think that there are lots of problems with deplatforming. I think that deplatforming really ought to be used sparingly and judiciously. But there are times for people to be deplatformed and for people to be canceled and for people to be publicly shamed. This is is a very delicate balance, right, between being gracious, being forgiving, being open to the possibility that people can reform themselves, can correct themselves, can change their mind and can be better moving forward. And on the other side, just allowing these things to just keep going and going and going when they really just need to be canceled. Yeah, let me educate you, but if not, wham. You gonna learn today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, we couldn't hear you while you were shouting into your headphones. So if you have feedback or suggestions for future topics, or if you just want to pick a fight with one of our co-hosts, or in fact all of us, just visit us at www.hotelbarpodcast.com and click on the interactive page. We're there often to solicit listeners' feedback on past episodes and contributions for upcoming episodes. If you want to belly up to the bar with us, at least virtually, you can always email an audio clip, keep it under two minutes, please, to hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com. If it's interesting, we're going to steal it from you. If it's not, we'll send you our Venmo handles and you can virtually buy us a drink.
2: I hate both siderism. That drives me uh, absolutely yeah. insane. I just feel that you've been alerted and now if you take the Dave Chappelle approach which is fuck your admonishment, I'm going deep in the paint with this. Okay, then this is what happens when we you want to engage in this conversation in a very public and a very seemingly spiteful and petty way. And I'm more concerned about this happening at the level of the personal, not famous people, not celebrities. But people within one's community, whether it be one's academic community, one's social community, let, let me pull you aside and say, well, this is why I think what you said is harmful and hurtful to me. And I'm hoping that you hear me as I try to help you to understand that things are changing. This is a new world and there's really no need to be afraid of this new world. Mm,
0: mm. Yeah. and And if you say that to someone and they come back to you with anything that includes the words woke them right. Right. <laughs> right. Then, right. then that person should be canceled. Yeah. Like they, yeah. th- that person has got something to learn. And the lesson that they need to learn is not people disagree with you. The lesson they need to learn is that sometimes you can be shut up. And then at which point you say, I wish you hadn't done it, but you made me cancel you.
1: <laughs> right, as Rick said at right. the beginning of our conversation, you don't have a constitutional
2: right to get $50 million. Right. <laughs> from the general public. This is the other side of democracy. This is the other side of freedom of speech. You can say what you want to say, but we also are not obligated to be uncritical or let that slide or let you go unchallenged in your thoughts.
0: So I want to come back to Dave Chappelle because it's interesting to me the way that cancel panic has become so profitable. So the idea that these people who are canceled can then recreate themselves as these martyrs of the woke mob, not martyrs of the woke mob, but victims of the woke mob and therefore martyrs and can make a lot of money going around telling sold out crowds that they're canceled. I just want to play this brief clip from a Dave Chappelle show that is post the Dave Chappelle special where Dave Chappelle is talking about him being canceled.
2: Hey, if you do anything wrong in your life, duh, and I find out about it, I'm gonna try to take everything away from you. And I don't care what I find out. Could be today, tomorrow, 15, 20 years from now, if I find out you're fucking, duh, finished. Who's that? That's you. That's what the audience sounds like to me. why I don't be coming out doing comedy
0: all the time, because y'all niggas is the worst motherfuckers I've ever tried to entertain in my fucking life. So a few weeks ago, Charles rightly said, this was in a separate, private, offline conversation between the two of us, that his beef with Dave Chappelle is not primarily the content of the special, although it is problematic in many ways, for those of you who have not seen the new Dave Chappelle special. But his beef is that Dave Chappelle subsequently went on to keep repeating this, I'm so canceled, I'm the victim here. And in doing so, in saying that he's canceled, is making money hand over fist doing that.
1: And also, don't you want to say to Dave Chappelle at that moment, hey, Dave, look around you and see who's rallying around you to your cause. And five years ago, would you have been happy if Tucker fucking Carlson is championing your cause? (laughs) Like, you would have been horrified at that. So maybe you need to think about the company that you're now keeping in wrapping yourself in the cloak of cancellation.
0: There's also an interesting academic example of this same phenomenon that just happened this past week, I think, which is that. In liberal arts academia, there's been this ongoing and very ugly debate about gender, about trans people, about pronouns, etc. One of the people that has been prominent in that debate is a British philosopher whose name is Kathleen Stock. Kathleen Stock has been canceled, you know, by Twitter uh, many times. And recently resigned, I think, her job or got fired. No, she resigned. Resigned her official position. And did so in order both to say, this is what happens when you get canceled and to start an entirely new university, which they're calling the University of Austin, which uh, appears yeah. to be entirely populated by this faculty of canceled people.
1: That's like the island of misfit toys. Yeah, I was going to say the same <laughs> thing.
0: Right. Right,
1: the island of misfit toys. <laughs> oh my God. But
0: does anybody here doubt that that's going to be a for-profit university, right? Like they're going to make money oh, of hand course. over fist, of course. Uh, by doing this. The cancel panic itself is dog-whistly programs of the right, just another way of making money.
1: What, sure. What's interesting to me, just to stick with the Chappelle example for a moment, is that I, I've heard a number of comedians, and Charles, you referred to Seinfeld. I want to come back to him in, in a second. But a number of comedians expressing concern about cancel culture by saying that comedy needs to be edgy in order to be comedy. Or something like comedians can't do their job if they're constantly worried about censorship. I'm not sure censorship is involved, and so the second part is complicated, but I'm not sure that comedy needs to be edgy in that political sense. I think about someone like Jim Gaffigan. He's funny, at least I think he's incredibly funny, and not the least bit edgy or Mike Birbiglia, for, for that matter. And so I don't know that I buy the argument that comedy in particular needs us to carve out a cancellation exception just so that comedy can be comedy.
0: Can I ask you this? Because I agree with you that comedy doesn't have yeah. to be politically edgy in order to be comedy. Yeah. However, I do think that I would want to say that comics are among a very few kind of group of people that I would want to say ought to be given the widest latitude when it comes to these sorts of things. So it's still going to be the case that sometimes jokes are going to step over the line and hopefully comics have enough sense to be like, yep, that was a bad one. I shouldn't have said that. Cutting that one from my act. But I would want to say, yeah, comics, playwrights, novelists, artists in general ought to be given a lot of latitude. What do you mean by latitude? in terms of testing where the line is of acceptable and unacceptable speech.
2: I agree with that. I remember hearing this complaint from a certain generation of comics, comics who'd probably come up starting in the 70s and in the 80s. You know, the complaint became, well, you can't go to college campuses anymore.
1: Right, mm-hmm. right.
2: Because these kids, these, you know, and then the language of political correctness and the language of wokeness mm-hmm. became a part of, of that discourse. And I th- I am not someone who thinks there should be limits placed on freedom of speech and free expression. I think you have every right and you should say what you want to say. I also think that like everyone else who functions within an openly communicative society, you also should be able to stand up and bear the brunt of people's yeah, thoughts. Take
0: your, take your licks. Take,
2: take your licks or defend them in a, in a much better way. So I see people like Seinfeld, who is the, the farthest thing from edgy. I see people like Bill Maher, who's the farthest thing from funny <laughs> and edgy. You know, I, I see them, and this is where we go back to the original sort of thoughts about, you know, cancel panic. I see people who are generationally out of step. And they don't know how to adjust to that because I've also seen some great comedians who've had fantastic responses to that sensibility. Sarah Silverman has mm-hmm. been really fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just hilariously exposed Seinfeld's old manishness. And also Cat Williams has been very critical of comedians who want to engage in that discourse and saying, look, your job is to be funny. Right? If the sands are shifting, if the cultural mores and modes are shifting, then your job is to stay on top of those and be funny within the context of the moment. If you can't do that, or if you have to rely upon abusive, cheap, stupid, low-minded jokes in order to get cheap laughs, then maybe you shouldn't be doing this job.
0: But how is that not just the shut up and sing? No, I don't think... No,
2: I think Cat Williams it
0: says, raise your game. Get yeah. better. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Get
2: better. If you, wanna, if you want laughs on a college campus, then you need to figure out what makes campus
1: or college student at this moment in history figure out what makes them laugh and do that cuz that's your job. So I just heard Seinfeld on the episode of the podcast Smartless that was released this week and and he was singing a slightly different tune. This is a podcast hosted by Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and oh, wow. Sean Hayes. Okay. Nice. In in that discussion he said that one of the reasons why we don't got to worry about comedians is because they are being checked every three minutes when they're on stage. And that is they got to make a laugh. And the moment they don't, they're being checked. And and so I think he's backed off a little bit about this. Comedians need to just plunge forward. Now he's saying, you know, look, we need to be funny right? And the moment we're not funny, the audience is going to check us. And if we're consistently not funny, we're not going to work anymore. And he never called that cancellation. The second thing is he used that to make the point that comedians aren't teachers and nobody should be going to a comedian to learn shit. And so he was railing against a a kind of didactic comedy. And I, I think To a certain extent, he has a point. He wasn't quite sophisticated enough to draw a second point out of that. Namely, even though someone doesn't go to a comedian in order to learn something, they frequently come away having learned something without knowing it and without having been prepared for it. But I think with comedy, where a lot of this now cancellation worry is playing itself out, I think, yeah, two things. One is, like all forms of cultural expression it needs the widest possible attitude in terms of freedom of speech but by the way the freedom of speech is not the necessity that i listen to you or anyone listens to you and so isn't cancellation just we're not listening anymore the ultimate cancellation is people no
2: longer go to your show right and that's that you know that's what we would call the market <laughs> right. <laughs> but I also think that one can be edgy, one can brush up against the line, one can be very daring and still do it in a very smart, insightful way that does not necessarily elicit or utilize certain types of languages or, or tropes in order to get a laugh. I heard a comedian say, well, Richard Pryor couldn't perform today. I guess like, he could. Yeah. yeah. And he'd be bumping up against the line in a bunch of ways, but I think he could still perform but I also think he was not someone who was into self-pity. Or I think he was someone who was committed to his voice and saying, look, these are things I have to say. I know people are not going to like them, but A, I feel like I have to say them to be authentic and true to myself, and I'm willing to take the lumps that come with that. Like, I've never, and I'm a huge Richard Pryor fan, I've never seen one single act where he was up on stage complaining about someone being critical of him for using the N-word in his act. Never. Right. Take the lumps, move on, reach your audience and keep on. So I don't think it's impossible for someone to be edgy or engaged or to expand the boundaries of what we can talk about publicly. I think that's there. I just think that what we're seeing is a certain level of privilege that's now is being perceived as being threatened. I think a lot of, especially a a lot of these sort of comedians, it's ego that's functioning now. And certainly if we're talking about Seinfeld generation, and we're also looking at really, hey, you kids. Get off of my discourse. You know, it's taking place. right?
1: No, and I I think, Charles, that's really important because here again, we're brushing up against a moment in which from a certain part of uh, U.S. culture, the loss of privilege or even the naming of privilege is experienced as someone else now having power over me rather than a, a move toward equality. And I think this is part of the panic on the right is to get out in front of that, to hold on to the privilege by attaching it to a kind of free speech argument and then say, oh, cancellation is bad. But on the other hand, maybe cancellation, and and this goes back to Lee's point, the just form of cancellation, I would just call moral education. (laughs) I like that.
0: Yeah, I think that maybe one of the things that, I, I don't know how we missed this, but what we didn't talk about is how the right is also doing a lot of canceling. I mean, the woke mob <laughs> right, might be concerned about the ways that certain people's speech or certain people's positions are not sensitive enough to structural issues of justice, but the woke mob is not out there trying to Cancel entire educational programs, right, right? right? Like it's not trying to like cancel CRT, right. Right? which you know is not even being taught anyway. But you, you see what I'm saying. There's a lot of cancellation being done by the right as a consequence of this panic about cancellations that are not really cancellations in the same.
1: And right. and what's interesting is that the fear of this mob that has never actually been in the same physical space to uh, at the same time comes in the face of when we had an actual fucking mob on Capitol Hill taking over yeah. the Capitol. You want to talk about cancellation? They tried to cancel democracy.
0: They tried to cancel democracy. That's it. That's, I think put, that's a good point. Put, put, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's right. Roll, roll that up. I got five on it. <laughs> All right, you guys. It looks like Rami is trying to turn the lights on and get us on out of here. He says we're canceled, in the literal in the real sense of canceled. Like we don't get drink, we don't get drinks anymore. That's just the, the, that's o- just. the only sense. The only sense that actually matters.
2: I don't have the privilege of drinking past midnight anymore. Come on, Rami.
0: I, now I'm panicking. <laughs> yeah, but this has been a really good conversation. I think that unfortunately i'd hate to say this but i just think that we're going to see things get a lot worse before they get better if they get better this might just be you know how to be a human in the world now from now on indeed yeah. indeed
1: and and i think this is a, another example of the way in which the fox news is and even worse like the oans and well, what's that other one newsmax newsmax yeah the, the way in which in order to hang on to privilege tries to recast things as an actual violation of our social order and you know what screw you you're canceled
0: <laughs> hey quick question for both of you if you had to pick one person who you think was most justly cancelled and one person you think is most unjustly canceled who would you pick Louis CK definitely for that for justly canceled
1: yeah that was the first that yeah. came to my mind.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say
1: Harvey
2: Weinstein, but, you know, that's kind of obvious.
0: Well, that was going to be my. okay. so my (laughs) most justly canceled was definitely Harvey Weinstein Yeah, or Epstein or the other guy, Jeffrey Epstein. But I would say that for me, the most unjustly
2: canceled was Aziz Ansari. Me too. I was going to say Aziz Ansari Mm -hmm. as well. I felt like his public response was actually I was kind of wrong and I misread this thing. And he felt really earnest in terms of hearing the criticisms that were made. And to me, that's important. That's really important.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, Aziz Ansari. One of the difficult cases for me that I just don't know where is Al Franken. And, and mostly because I don't have enough information, right. I think. So,
0: right. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, well, we're going to wrap it up. I will catch you next time right here sitting down at our old trusty stools. And uh, in the meantime, watch your mouths, guys. <laughs> all right have a good one everyone Bye. <laughs>